Well, thanks, Nick and Megan and Ben. Always so great to be together. Thanks for leading us in worship. Heartland, whether you are here or experiencing this online, wherever you are, it is so great to be together uh, that we can worship, that we can hear the word, that we can engage in community no matter where we are. You know, the songs we sing have a way of bringing us into worship and into prayer. They have the way of helping us declare who God is and then respond to him and his work in our lives. And so we're in a series, this is week two, that we're calling Rooted, Encountering God Through the Psalms. And so we're seeing that psalms are poetry and prayer. Songs are the corporate worship music of the Old Testament that contains the musings of troubled souls. The psalms in the middle of our Bible were the original uh, Hebrew songbook. The psalms in the middle of our Bible were the songs that Jesus, our Savior, sang. And the psalms have been the soundtrack to the Christian faith from Jesus' day to our day. And so if you missed last week, we'd started off just with this idea that the psalms are a pathway by which you and I can encounter God. And so if you joined us last week, either in person or online, you know that I started by sharing a moment of transcendence in worship that happened for me, at all, of all places, at a rock concert, <laughs> at a U2 show in 2003 where Bono was singing and he quoted the Psalms in Scripture and just had this incredible moment that I wanted to recreate for us. And so I sang a little bit of it and I played some air guitar and, and to be honest, I thought it went pretty well until I got home. And the first thing my 10-year-old son, Drew, says to me is, Dad, I'm so embarrassed. And I'm like, why, buddy? Is it because I'm your dad or because I sang or because I played air guitar? And, and I think it included all of that, but really he was most embarrassed because I like you too. For Drew, the music I listen to is the oldies. And I'd never understood that, but like to Drew, Bono is like Elvis. Like, it just does not relate to him. But you know what does? Hip-hop. Anyone else like hip-hop here? So hip-hop is the most popular form of music today. It's really captured uh, the interest of, of all generations, but particularly the younger generation. And, and I've gotten to where I enjoy it. I enjoy the beat and the creativity. I don't enjoy so much having to find only the clean versions so that my kids can listen to so it occurred to me in that moment, if we were going to make the Psalms relevant to you and I today, I need to do it through the genre of hip-hop. And so I thought about getting a microphone and, and rapping the songs and the like, and then I realized it would scar my kids forever and none of you would ever come back. So I don't know if hip-hop, if that's today for the stage at the church, but it definitely has been on the stage in Broadway, hasn't it? See, one of the blessings of COVID, if we could call it that, is the, the, the show Hamilton is now streamed by Disney+. Plus. Anyone been able to see that? It's an absolute phenomenon. It's an incredible work of art that really has captured, captivated our lives and attention, especially around my little household. It's amazing the impact that this musical has had. The producer named Jeffrey Seller says it like this, I've never in my life witnessed a musical that has penetrated the American culture faster than Hamilton. I mean, would you agree? That's what the reviewers say. It is an absolute masterpiece. 11 Tony Awards, including Best Musical. 
as well as the Pulitzer Prize for drama. It's amazing. And it begs the question, why? What is it about this musical, about the American Revolution, using the genre of hip-hop that really resonates with people today? Well, my buddy Kevin Cloud, we uh, were on staff here at Heartland way back in the day. Uh, He encountered, he feels like, God by watching Hamilton in 2016. And based on that experience, he traced spiritual themes that he gleaned through the musical. And he wrote them in a book. It's called God and Hamilton. For those of you Hamilton fans, you might enjoy it. But from his perspective, the musical has captured a collective imagination like nothing else, at least from Broadway has to date. He says four things. First is it's just an extraordinary piece of art, an absolute genius of a work of art. Second, he says, is it speaks to the deep themes in our lives, the human experience, grace and tragedy and death and suffering, redemption and forgiveness. Third, he says, as it happens to, the storylines intersect with our society and what we're dealing with, the struggles in our culture, things like immigration and and racial justice and gender equality and the like, and it just happens to really be coalescing right now. But he says there's a fourth thing, that there are some spiritual themes that were in Hamilton's life that come across in the movie or in the musical, and he says it like this. But another even deeper explanation exists for the emergence of Hamilton as a cultural phenomenon. The show and the story it tells becomes a moment of spiritual transcendence for the people lucky enough to experience it. The audience collectively feels a weight, a tension, a presence, perhaps even the presence of God. See, at times our world can feel overwhelmed by darkness and suffering and tragedy, but the promise of the gospel That's good news. The promise of the gospel is that somehow, in some way, God will eventually make it all beautiful. That God will take our pain and suffering and redeem it. Our role as the church is to speak and live out this word of hope and redemption, not merely as a response to social change, but as a catalyst. And so these themes that we're experiencing today that show up in this musical There's nothing new about them. See, the scripture has spoken about these things for decades, centuries, and millennia. And so as we crack open the book of Psalms, today we're in Psalm 2. It was likely penned by King David 3,000 years ago. And I'm gonna read from the message version, Psalm 2 today, because in my opinion, it's the version, the translation of scripture that most resembles hip-hop. So it may speak to my son, Drew. Why the big noise, nations? Why the mean plots, peoples? Earth leaders push for position. Demagogues and delegates meet for summit talks. The God deniers, the Messiah defiers. Let's get free of God, cast loose from Messiah. Well, heaven-throne God breaks out laughing. At first, he's amused at their presumption. Then he gets good and angry. Furiously, he shuts them up. Don't you know there's a king in Zion? A coronation banquet is spread for him on the holy summit. Let me tell you what God said next. He said, you're my son and today is your birthday. What do you want? Name it. Nations is a present, continents is a prize. You can command them all to dance for you or throw them out with tomorrow's trash. So rebel kings, use your heads. Upstart judges, learn your lesson. Worship God and in 
adoring embrace. Celebrate in trembling awe. Kiss Messiah. Your very lives are in danger, you know. His anger is about to explode. But if you make a run for God, you won't regret it. So for those of you who've been reading the Psalms or tuned in last week, this is like a hard right turn from Psalm 1 that says, blessed is the path of those who pursue God. You are blessed if you follow his path. This one is for the nations. It's sort of on this cosmic scale, and it's a voice of challenge. So on the first blink, they seem really different, but a closer look, actually, they say one and the same thing. They confirm that individually and collectively, God is both good and brings his blessing, and God is sovereign. He's in control of all things. And so if on one hand the Psalms offer a pathway whereas you and I can connect and encounter the presence of the living God, Psalms also offer a perspective that lets us right-size the struggles and suffering in the world in light of the goodness and greatness of God. Psalms give perspective to right-size our struggles in light of the goodness and greatness of God. And so in Psalm 2, we have four movements, and I encourage you to pay attention to who's speaking and what they're saying. It goes from the nations, that's collectively the people. Then God speaks, then the Son speaks, and finally the Spirit speaks. So here's movement one, and as I'm reading this, I want you to consider the Psalm was written about 3,000 years ago, likely. See if there's anything that resonates with current news feeds, the political climate, world events that we find ourselves in. Why the big noise, nations? Why the mean plots, peoples? Earth leaders push for position. Demagogues and delegates meet for summit talks. The God deniers, the Messiah defiers. Let's get free from God, they say. Let's cast loose from Messiah. I don't know about you, but when I read those words this week, it hit a little too close to home. If Psalm 1 is an individual perspective like you and me, Psalm 2 is this cosmic, like 30,000-foot view, looking at demagogues and delegates, all jockeying for position and power and prestige, summit talks and party platforms, national elections, each person, each group looking to see who has the upper hand of superpower. Now, let me be clear, the problem isn't politics or power per se, because God has ordained the way things work in the world to have governance by people. The problem is this. The problem is the noise, the rage, the control, the catalyzing fear, all this stuff that's above ground that we see and experience. Are you with me? And even deeper, the problem is the plotting, the scheming, the spinning, the dreaming, the declaring of those who want to defy God. Let's get free from God, they say, cast loose from Messiah. Interesting, the word plotting that the nations are doing in Psalm 2 is the same word that individuals have the opportunity to do when they meditate. We can meditate God's word, and when we do, we become like trees planted near streams of water that bear the life and love of God that changes us. We can meditate on that, or we can meditate on plotting, scheming, and dreaming, building our own lives and our own kingdom at the expense and destruction 
of others. See, what Psalm 2 personifies is the ultimate in human defiance, where collectively, metaphorically speaking, we puff up our chest and with great bravado say, God, here we are. What are you going to do about it? That's what the nations say. And from an earthly perspective, the more powerful one is, the less likely they seem to be to need God. Does that ring true for you from your experience by living in our contemporary world? Well, movement two, God speaks into this. He says this, heaven-throne God breaks out laughing. At first, he's amused at their presumption. Then he gets good and angry. Furiously, he shuts them up. Don't you know there's a king in Zion? A coronation banquet is spread for him on the holy summit. And so it's essentially that we go from this 30,000 foot view to this like 90 million mile view where the God who created the heavens and the earth and everything in it sent planets and solar system and the universe into space is looking down. And at first he laughs with amusement and then retorts with fury. And so we have to ask the question as we're reading Psalm 2 after reading Psalm 1, like, what do we make of this? Do we have a distant, uncaring God? One who's vengeful and spiteful? Well, remember this is poetry. Remember these are songs. These are things that capture our heart. And as we're reading these things, we're pondering questions like, what does this say about God? What does this say about the world? What does this say about our lives? These are trying to help us understand these things. And so from the vantage point of earth, The problems you and I experience, they're huge. Rulers are all powerful and history has its eyes on us. But from God's view, frankly, revolutions seem small. All history is in his hands and those defiant rulers who think that they have the answer to everything, from God's view, they may look like this. Anybody like King George? What a great character in the show. You see, this psalm helps us right-size our perspective of the problems in the world and the powers over them in light of the goodness and greatness of God. And so when God speaks, he says, there's a new king coming to Zion. That's Jerusalem. There's a coronation that's coming of the anointed one, the one they call Messiah. And so now we move to movement three where the son speaks. Let me tell you what God said next. He said, you're my son and today is your birthday. What do you want? Name it. Nations as a present, continents as a prize. You can command them all to dance for you or throw them out with tomorrow's trash. So this is about the son and the son is the Messiah. Now, you may or may not know this, but the scriptures are not written in English. They're written in Hebrew or Greek. And so what happens is really smart men and women, much smarter than me, take the Hebrew and Greek and they translate them into versions of the Bible. Some translations like the NIV or NASB are more like word for word. The message version is thought for thought trying to take the the dynamic equivalence of what the Psalms would say in that day and make it applicable to us today. That's why I've chosen the message version because I think it puts for us ways we can understand this particular Psalm today. 
And so in it, the son, when he speaks, he just reports out what he's been told by the father, by the king, by God himself. He says, God the Father has confirmed that relationship. I'm his son, and with that, he's conferred upon me a kingdom. And so what that means for you and I is that the son is the Messiah, and that means that he's the rightful owner, the rightful ruler over everything. And the reality is when one is sovereign like that, he can do whatever he wants to whomever he chooses, and that includes you and me. And this may make us really uncomfortable, right? We were already a little uncomfortable with Psalm 1, like which path are we on? Now we're even more uncomfortable with what type of character does this Messiah have? I mean, it's coming across that he's sovereign, but is he good? Can I trust him with the things happening? And we're left with a bit of a cliffhanger because the son reports what the father says, but the son doesn't say what he's going to do about it. Finally, movement four, it's where the Spirit speaks. And depending upon where you're at, these come with great encouragement that the situations and powers that are oppressing you, God's sovereign over them, you can be greatly encouraged or it comes with an incredible amount of challenge if you have set yourself in defiance of God. And so here's the way Psalm 2 concludes from the message version. You rebel kings, those God deniers and Messiah defiers we talked about in verse three, use your heads. You upstart judges, those who want to flee, be free from God and loosed from Messiah's rule, it's time to learn a lesson. Now is the time to turn from the path you're on and worship God in adoring embrace. And to do that, you need to turn towards the sun to celebrate with trembling awe, to bow down and worship and kiss Messiah. You see, the stakes are high. They couldn't be higher. Your very lives are in danger. You know why? Because his anger is about to explode. Boom! It's a little nod to the musical, by the way. His anger is about to explode, but if you make a run for God, you won't be disappointed. If you make a run for God, you won't regret it. That word for regret, not regretting it, in Psalm 2 that ends, is the same root word of Psalm 1, blessed, happy. Individually, collectively, in a small and large scale, you will be happy, you will not regret it, you will live the life full that God wants for you. If you make a run for God, you won't regret it. So to whom is Psalm 2 written? That may be really important for us to understand. Who is it who needs this message of Messiah? I mean, is it those, those who have all the power in our culture, in our country, in our world? Is it folks like Barack Obama and Donald Trump and Nancy Pelosi and Mitch McConnell and Governor Kelly and Mayor Lucas? Yes. Yes, they need to hear the message of Messiah. What about internationally? Is it folks like Queen Elizabeth and Boris Johnson or Kim Jong-un or Vladimir Putin or back in the day, Alexander Hamilton and King George? Yes, 
all need to heed the message of Messiah. Well, what about every person, you and I, who don't live on the grand scale, but each of us have a measure of power and authority in our lives, don't we? This message is for all of us, from CEOs to team leads, from CNAs to MDs, from room parents and teachers, bank tellers and renters and tears, lawyers and janitors, from home inspectors to risk managers to software engineers to full-time moms and dads, in sales, insurance, investing, dance instructors, little league coaches. Whether you're a dance instructor or the girl dancing, whether you're a little league coach or the, the child playing, all of us, need to listen and heed the words of Messiah. It's true for everyone, period. And that comes as a challenge for those of us who set ourselves up in opposition, who believe by our strength and our ingenuity and our power, exercising our freedoms, that we can create the life we want and we don't need God. We all must come to grips and stand in the place and realize who's sovereign and who's not. But there may even be one group in particular that this psalm is meant for, and that may be especially true for those on the underside of power. These psalms, this psalm was attributed to King David who himself knew what it was like to be on both sides of power. He was the king who ruled everything as he pleased and at one point he fled fearing for his life. He'd lost everything and had to rely totally, completely, helplessly upon God. The psalms were compiled during Israel's exile where they had been transported, they'd been conquered, they were now immigrants in a foreign land, they were an oppressed people ruled with the iron fist of a pagan ruler. And so these words came to them as good news. It helped them right-size their perspective of their struggles in light of the goodness and greatness of God. Same is true for you and I today. Since it's 2020, very few of us are living our best lives, are we? With all the struggles we're facing, the uncertainty, the challenges of figuring out what to do with our kids' school or how do we create an income for our family or how do I deal with the loss or the sickness of the people that I love? I mean, there are times where we wonder, like, is God there and and is God good? And here's the message of Psalm 1, that the Psalms become a pathway where God loves you, where he wants to interact with you, where he's available to you and I. And the message of Psalm 2 is that oceans rise and empires fall, but there's only one who is sovereign over it all, and that's Messiah the Son, the one who shows the goodness and greatness of God. And so make no mistake, God is sovereign over our lives, but we may still be left with the question of, is he good? Is he good? 
In Jesus' day, people thought and expected the Messiah to come as a conquering ruler, as the one who would come and kick out Rome forever, who would set up an earthly kingdom of rule. And they got the last thing they expected because it pleased God to send his son, the Messiah, not in the form of a conquering hero, but of a baby born in a stable. Born not in a palace with all the prestige and power, but born as one of us in poverty. He had to learn and grow and figure out what life was like. And though he was without sin, he experienced everything we do. When he came, he spoke a message not about revolution, but about the revelation of God. When he came, he came not with a conquering army, but he spoke and the masses followed. People from every background, those who felt like they had no one to care for them, the needy, the impoverished, the only people who didn't accept him when he came were the ruling class in Rome and the religious elite in Israel. Everyone else was invited to a seat at the table as they heard about the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God. And in the time when it came for him to bring God's kingdom, he did not do so through a fighting army. He did so by becoming obedient to death on the cross. God is sovereign And through Jesus, we see what he's like, and God is good. He lived, he died, and that's why we tell his story. This is the Messiah that we can trust our lives in. This is the Messiah that's over world events and can be Lord of our lives. This is the Messiah that Paul wrote about in Philippians chapter 2. He says, when we follow this Messiah, kind of like Nick prayed or as he read, we become like this one because Jesus went first. Jesus has conquered everything we have. He goes ahead and his spirit fills us if we make him our savior, if we follow him. And so the scriptures tell us to be like that. This is how we exercise power and authority and in so doing, usher in ourselves and then on behalf of others, the kingdom of God. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen and amen. And so this morning can present a bit of a crossroads for us as well as we get to ask those questions collectively and personally. Three questions to consider today. First is, do I believe in God? Do I believe he is sovereign and that he's good? Do you believe in God, that he's sovereign and that he's good? Secondly, do you believe that Jesus is the Messiah? And are you allowing him to be Lord of your life? Do you believe Jesus is the Messiah? 
And are you allowing him to be Lord of your life? And third question, does that belief in Jesus as Lord, is it right-sizing the struggles you're experiencing in light of the goodness and greatness of God? Does that perspective, Jesus being sovereign, him being Lord, does that right-size your perspective of the struggles and challenges that are so very real in light of the goodness and the greatness of God? So at the end of each of our experiences in the Psalms, what we're encouraging you to do is read, ponder, and pray the Psalms. This is your action step. So this week, we're reading Psalms 6 through 10. We'd invite you to do so by reading the journey, by uh, getting on the app, uh, going to Heartland Anywhere. These will be on there, ways that you can cultivate what you're learning and experiencing at home, just like we do here. And so we encourage you to read that psalm. Today, it was Psalm 2. Tomorrow, it'll be Psalm 6. Read the psalm. Get fluent with it. What is this saying about God, myself, and the world? Then I want you to ponder the psalm. And and my encouragement this week is that as you're reading through the psalm, think about the thoughts, feelings, or struggles that you're dealing with as you read. Create a list, just name it. Ponder how the words of the psalm uh, relates to your life today. And third, once you've created that list, maybe it's just a mental list, but after you've done that, pray the psalm. So pray, God, here are the things that this psalm has risen up in me. Here's what I'm dealing with. Here's what I'm struggling with. Just give that to God. That's a great way to begin prayer. And then, using that same list as you pray, ask God to show up and be sovereign and good in each of those things. Does that make sense? Read ponder and pray. And by the way, again, just find this. We have it all over the place online to cultivate our lives with Jesus. And so I'm going to close by praying uh, just a simple prayer that might be inspired by Psalm 2. And other than at the nine o'clock this morning, I have not rehearsed this part. So this could be terrible. And if so, I kind of hope that it is because it will help you feel like I can do that. (laughs) That's the goal. So I'm just going to pray using some of my thoughts as it relates to this message and this psalm today. Lord, I thank you that we can gather individually and collectively. I thank you for the Bible, for the scriptures, for the psalms, for the ways that that's spoken to me and hopefully that it's spoken to the friends who've gathered here, whether here is in the room or online. Lord, as I'm reading the Psalms about what's happening in the world, um, I am stressed about politics and the election and what I continue to see on news feeds. But I confess I am worried about um, racial injustice and the way it affects all of us and the way we're not where we need to be and, and what that looks like to raise kids today. I'm stressed about that. Lord, practically, I'm really stressed about what to do with school coming up. As Holly and I are wrestling with on-site, online, in-person, like all of those things, a lot of stress about that, particularly because we both work full-time and trying to juggle all of that. I'm just stressed about the challenges we're all experiencing. So I want to 
give you those things, Lord. Will you bring your sovereignty and your goodness at the national and international level? Will you take care of the things that we cannot? Lord, will you be over the stuff happening with schools for our kids, for my kids, Drew and Stella, and each of our kids represented here? Will you be bringing your good work of bringing justice and equality of love for all people that we would not be judged by the color of our skin but the content of our character? And for anything any of our, my friends here or online are bringing, what we experience as a church individually and collectively, will you be sovereign and good And will you show up in ways we can understand today and this week? We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as always, I pray the Lord will bless you and keep you, that he'll make his face to shine upon you, that the Lord will be gracious to you and give you his peace. It's the name of Jesus that I say go. Have a great week.